The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey everybody, this is The Baptist and The Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And you are listening to episode something. <laughs> I don't even know what episode Four we're on five. anymore. I don't know. You're listening to a brand new episode. A brand new episode brought to you by us. Man, um, so we've been here and busy. there and everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically busy. Yep. Um, and if. I don't know when this is released, but I have a bonus episode coming out because Brian was gone. And it's a short bonus video or bonus podcast uh, episode. It's not even a video, actually. So sorry. You got to listen to it. Audio. It's going to be great. Um, There'll be a picture, uh, just a picture of you and I'll make the mouth move. (laughs) That would be kind of (laughs) cool. But, oh, man, so we've been gone here and there. Um, You guys are still listening to regular episodes, but we have not been regularly recording because we've been on retreats. We have been on retreats. And this is, like, I'm just excited to talk about this topic uh, because we've had both of our, both of us have had experiences independent of each other. Like we didn't even coordinate it this way. We didn't. <laughs> it, it just so happens that we have like retreats, like week to week, like back to back, with from each other. So it's like, dude, episode on retreats, perfect opportunity. Exactly. If you've been on a retreat, m- let us know. Baptist and Buddhist at gmail dot com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. The uh, podcast, everything, anything podcast, will we're there. Like, give us a like or a subscribe or a review or a message or whatever or thoughts and prayers. I don't care, um, anything really. Yeah, please, we want to hear from you. Yep. So, what is a retreat? No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that to you because <laughs> uh, we could define retreat differently depending on who you're asking i mean i think we will have to at least set some kind of definition for a retreat because i'm sure it's vastly different between our two traditions yeah that's very true and man i don't even like what is like oh okay these guys are talking about retreats like are they like falling back in a war like in a battle zone like retreat retreat, retreat. yeah exactly like uh, we're not in Helm's Deep and they're not breaking through the walls so like what is happening when we say <laughs> retreat I think generally we could say a retreat is a time set apart from everyday life for various reflection and or uh, a time of rejuvenation, maybe. Yeah, um, that's a good one. That's a good one. If it's a spiritual retreat, it's probably informed by the respective tradition and usually, as I said, a time to kind of step back from everyday life, reset you know, maybe some inner 
inner reflections going on. Right. Um, yeah. That, so what? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good general. Uh, a general description of it and really like when it comes to like a christian's point of view in retreat like what's a retreat in a christian way like there's no like bible definition of retreat like you could probably like uh, uh, apply the idea of a retreat to certain passages or something in the bible like uh, someone gets a way to pray at a river or something or or uh or someone runs away and finds finds or has like communion with God or something during like in the caves or whatever. Um, but it's not like a, it's not like an ordinance or a tradition in like a, a Christian sense. Like it's just a, a extra thing that a lot of churches throw in. Um, and they come in all different shapes and size, uh, shapes and sizes they uh generally a retreat would be like a group of people from a church or churches get together in some location and do stuff with each other do bible studies and have fun and just like relax and get away from the busyness of the world um i've seen everything from like uh, when I say like groups of people, usually it's broken down, not the full congregation or the full church body, like of the local church. It's usually done by like demographics of, if you will, like teens. Um, usually it's like, teen, I don't think there's a lot of like kids retreats, like for young kids, unless there's a lot of chaperones or something, but there's or like maybe teens. summer camps. Yeah. Summer camps. Definitely. Um, uh, but you know, there, I've seen like teen retreats, women's retreats, men's retreats, uh, maybe even like the senior group retreat, like the older, old people retreats, like just, you know, if there's a group, they might have retreats. In this case, the retreat I went on was a men's retreat. Um, and being new to the church that I'm a part of, like, they just announced like, Hey, we're having a men's retreat. We don't really know much about it. We're this is the first time we've done this kind of thing. So like sign up and I'm you know, I'm in a new church, I'm taking new risks. So I'm like, sign me up, I'm gonna get to know these guys. Um, so I signed up not knowing anything about it. <laughs> so it it was it was kind of just jumping in blind. Um they they I mean they did give us information on where it's at. It was at a a Bible camp. It's called a Bible camp. Um, and it's just a little, I've never heard of even the town that it, it was in. And it's just like an hour away from here. It's like, I have no idea what, where that is. Um, and so like, I kind of like, I looked up the camp a little bit. It's a, so it's a Bible camp made for summer camps and retreats and stuff like that. It's, you know, they have cabins to sleep in, you know, a lake, like the kind of the classic lake stuff for camps, like the blob. They had a blob there. And I mean, it was out of season. So I, so we didn't get to use a lot of that, you know, kayaks. They had like horseback riding and skeet shooting. And they even had like disc golf and like just all sorts of like outdoorsy kind of things. And, uh, and so I'm like, oh, this might be kind of cool. I really want to kayak that that's, that's one of my favorite things is to go kayaking. So, 
Um, and I had no idea who was going either. I really didn't know a whole lot of people in the church. I, I knew like a couple of the guys and I'm like, okay, we're going to make, make friends and see where this goes. And really that's all that I knew. Like they didn't have a specific like itinerary with like what the purpose of this retreat is. It's just a men's retreat. So let's do this. How, how many, like how long was it? Was it a day or a weekend? So this, this retreat was set for like, uh, three consecutive days. It was part of the first day, like the first evening, a full day on Saturday and like the first half of Sunday. And then, then we left from there. So it was pretty short, uh, short and sweet. So, um, I mean, I, I guess like I get there, I sign in, find my group of people. It was some guys I have met previously. So, and <clears throat> the retreat itself, the, this is, was the first men's retreat that the camp has ever had. So like it was kind of a, an experimental thing for the camp itself. And the camp's been in business for decades. Um, wow. let's see altogether. There were like six or seven of us from my church. There were a handful of guys from other churches, uh, and like all together, there was like, you know, 15 to 18 guys total all together at this men's retreat. So it was relatively small in my opinion. I've never been to a retreat before this. So, um, so on the schedule, there were, um, there were uh, like meals obviously, and, uh, sessions where a preacher from, uh, from some random church, like was going to like, uh, give a message basically like teach a lesson. And it was about like, you know, being guys, you know, like being a biblical man or, or something like that. So we had sessions like one on Sunday, uh, or one on Friday evening, one on Saturday morning and Saturday evening, or I think night. Yeah. It was like closer to the night and then one on Sunday morning. Um, so he kind of like taught like a series of lessons. Um, and we like sing songs and stuff. Uh, and then like, you know, you just have free time, like hanging with the guys and getting to know each other, having campfires and stuff. So, uh, so I made a lot of friends there. Uh, we, you know, I think a lot of the guys didn't really know each other that well. So it was really like the perfect time for me to integrate myself with the guys because like this person that's been going there for a couple of years, hasn't really hung out with this other guy. So we were all just like intermingling and getting to uh, meet each other. And really like my biggest takeaway from the, the retreat itself was a hard, kind of like a hard reset in my mind from everything that I just went through this past year. Um, and you guys, I, if you listen to my bonus episode that I gave, I give a little bit of detail about what, what happened and all of the changes that are being made. So I'm like, okay, this is the perfect time to just like get away from everything and reset. And, and that's what I did. Like, new guys, new, a new attitude towards things. And like, I like, okay, cool. The message that the guy preached or taught us from the Bible was good and all. I didn't, I didn't really take away anything from that because the experience itself and like the camaraderie and fellowship with these guys were probably the most impactful thing of the whole Mm -hmm. retreat because 
it was like a fresh start and like a fresh breath of getting away from craziness and just spending time with the guys, you know, spending time, even I've, I had like a lot of, uh, just solid solitary moments where I'm like playing mandolin, like sitting by a, uh, a, a fireplace, drinking some tea and like just reflecting and everything. Um, and then in nature too, like we, I was, I got to kayak basically solo with, for myself for a really, for a really good length of one of the days. And, uh, it was just a really nice relaxing time. And, uh, yeah, it was just a good hard reset for me. Um, I'm sure you came back from that feeling refreshed and feeling rejuvenated. I felt extremely positive. Like I had a really good positive outlook, especially with like going forward with the church. Cause we're, we're pretty sure we're sticking around this church and like, you know, things are looking up for this church and like getting to know the guys and like really just like the heart of the church. Like where do these guys stand? And like, what are these guys for? Like, it just like confirmed it with me. Like this is where I'm supposed to be. Like these guys are just like me. Like we're all just, we're all just people we're all just human and like no judgment passed. And I mean, there were things that happened that you could judge hard and we didn't like, we were like, yes, we're just going to make, we're just going to make the best. We're just going to make with what time we have, like, and make it valuable and, and, uh, and make it, uh, worth something worth our while there. And so I got to play disc golf for the first time. I'm a true hipster now. <laughs> You've been indoctrinated into an to a hipster church. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Disc golf Basic, and all. Basically, disc golf is the bap the baptism. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really. Like that was you that first hole and like you're washed clean right there. <laughs> it's not how Sound of the chains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That represents like golf, chains so loosening. Know, yeah. uh, no, I'm <laughs> breaking the chains. <laughs> breaking the chains. <laughs> I could go doctrinally wrong with this idea, but yes, I like that idea. <laughs> oh man, you know, jettisoning the the disc away from your old self into your new self. <laughs> that was a stretch, but man, it was yeah, it was just a. Like getting to learn the history about the church and the guys there, uh, and uh, we even met like guys that aren't from our church and got to spend a lot of time with them, and re- just like do reflecting with each other and uh, really just like bouncing ideas off of each other because uh, we're all growing. Like the church is like st- the church is still young; it's still growing. Like okay, I'm young in this in this journey with the church. Like, so like we're going to all grow together. Uh, and it was just really, really cool to see. How, how old is the church? Do you know? The church itself is a couple of years old. Uh, like the, the church, like the organization that's there right now is just a couple of years old. They took over a church, a dying church and kind of like built from the ground up. And they're like, they're they're pretty solid on where they started off already so like they're just growing from there so it's really cool cool. to see it's cool that you can be that you can enter into that while it's 
pretty young and become, you know, part of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, like for, for a retreat like that, you know, you like traditionally you would go there, like, you know, better yourself as a man of God and, and like, uh, make, make your walk, uh, like better yourself in your walk with God as a man and like as a father or husband or whatever you apply to it there. Um, like, okay, like that's good and all like didn't really hear anything new out of like the, the Bible teaching or anything. But, uh, again, these retreats aren't just one sided like that, like go and learn from this guy about what Jesus, like how Jesus set forth a path for, for like being a man or something like that. But it's like all about the whole experience too. Uh, they don't give you, five hours of free time for nothing. Like it's not supposed to be just wasting time there. If they wanted to do more lessons, they would, but with that free time, like you got to experience, experience the fellowship and, and sometimes the awkwardness of being together. (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like there's like, you know, a chunk of free time, and then like programmed sessions of like Bible study, or I guess there's a, yeah, a, a speaker much. there, like yeah. giving, giving teachings or whatever the vernacular would be for that. <laughs> Probably that sounds correct to me. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like, uh, like the basis of your schedule was the teachings. Like in the morning after breakfast, you go down to the, hall or whatever and this guy it's like a mini church service every time like we sing songs and we like kind of do like icebreaker like uh like uh like trivia or whatever and then the guy just preaches and since it was a small group he got to like interact more with all of us and uh like bounce ideas off of each other uh so like it really like it was a good like, uh, discussion, like there's a lot of good discussion. So, Hmm. uh, and then after that, it's like, okay, let's go do stuff until the next session. So yeah, that was, that, that was basically it in a nutshell. Like I could go on about different weird events, but I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tear, like, uh, tarry too much on that irrelevant stuff. Yeah. Any other questions at all or Oh man, I don't know like you you covered a lot of the questions I had. Uh Like I was I was going to ask if there's like kind of a, a a schedule to follow. Um It sounds like there was. Yep, yep. Yeah, definitely. And uh, a lot of recreational activities, kayaking, um, sounds like there, that was part of it. (laughs) Yeah. There, the camp was like, uh, really kind more designed towards like kids, summer camps, like kids, summer Bible camps. So there was a lot of like, there was like a big game room with like, you know, all the ping pong and all that, all that kind of stuff. And, um, like rock climbing walls and everything set up. 
so like uh, there was a lot to do like not just kid related but there was a lot to do out there and they they pride themselves in like having a really nice facility and they do like it's, it was kind of cool across the lake was a uh was a was a jewish camp like they would have hmm. basically the same thing but for the jewish side of things so that was kind of cool to see like this lake was kind of like the center of of like retreats and camps for like everyone um, so that was kind of cool and it was wow, a really interfaith, clear lake too interfaith lake uh camp yeah so. i wonder <laughs> if they have like competitions between each camp <laughs> the classic yeah, like movies a, kind of stuff a canoe race or something yeah exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow it's it's interesting how like classic almost like a summer camp based or something it it seems it was it, that did surprise me a lot because a lot of the retreats that I've heard of before, I mean, they do like my old church, they would take, they would go do retreats at a specific camp um, that we all knew about. We all knew the camp. I've never been there. So I don't know what that camp, what that camp was like. Um, and there are some retreats that go other places that I've heard of, but like, just to be at like a traditional camp was kind of surreal because you always see them in movies and it's like, Oh, this is actually what it's like. And it's like, it's just, it was unreal for some reason. It was weird. Yeah. I've, I've been to some like, uh, not necessarily retreats, uh, and not necessarily festivals, but I guess kind of a retreat, like, um, like pagan retreats and stuff uh hmm. like druid gatherings which would take place at an off-season like girl scout camp so oh, wow. you had like <laughs> these cabins and bunks and yeah a, a, a mess hall and uh yeah. all this kind of stuff yeah yeah we had a pretty good uh cabin facility there there was like you know probably like more than a dozen bunks in one room it was nice mm -hmm. you know yep air conditioned and everything and electricity and plumbing and everything. So, yeah, but they had really old cabins too, that were like really rustic and like original to the camp. And like, they had a lot of history in the camp. Um, wow. we had a camp fire right next to the lake. Like you, if you oh, stood yeah. on the wrong side of the campfire, you would fall off into the lake. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess that's a, a good, you know, fire prevention method to just have it right next to the lake so you could just cannonball and put out a a wildfire. It's true. That's very true. <laughs> wow. I, that's really all that I could say about the retreat. I mean, that was pretty quick at, and painless. At one point you were saying, you were talking about like, like the, the free time being like, intentionally set there so that this like fellowship and camaraderie can happen and mm. because like it's not just about the the programmed services uh right yeah and yeah i i, I feel that and <laughs> i almost like i had to stop myself from saying sadhu just <laughs> like the buddhist amen um oh, okay <laughs> yeah yeah oh 
they had they did have a kitchen staff so they would cook for us and we would have all three meals provided to us on wow, a regular schedule so it was nice <laughs> and we didn't have to do dishes or anything <laughs> wow we did have to wipe our table though every every druid gathering i had been to was all vo- like voluntarily kitchen staffed so i was almost always washing dishes and <laughs> my my buddhist retreat experience included dishwashing as well oh um, foreshadowing <laughs> <laughs> so buddhist retreats buddhist retreats how does that go so a lot of times with buddhist retreats you get the you get the very classic meditation retreat um which there's a lot of and sometimes they come with a premium price tag to go to hawaii or something uh, and you know be led on a retreat by some famous teacher and a lot of times retreats are structured and they're sometimes they have a topic and you're led through intense meditation sessions and all this stuff usually in a for some reason in a beautiful tropical place or a, a cool mountain town or something um whoa <laughs> um and but there's also other types of re- other types of buddhist meditation retreats like the vipassana retreats um that was founded by S.N. Goenka, where it's 10-day meditation retreats where you're doing like 10 hours of meditation a day, all completely in silence. And it sounds very intense. Um, wow. And I've actually tried, I've actually thought about doing one of those eventually um, and wanted to for a while. And even thought, like, even like emailed one of the closest ones, which is not very close at all still, but... Um, but they were like doing renovations or something and didn't have any retreats open for, to new students. Mm. So I felt, a, I, in retrospect, I feel lucky that I didn't do that and I went the route I did. So I mm. just came back yesterday from a 10 day retreat. Um, <clears throat> and I actually hesitate to call it a retreat because it wasn't a structured meditation retreat and it wasn't titled a retreat. It was actually... Oh a short-term residency at a Buddhist monastery. So just don't talk about it then because this is an episode about retreats. Yep. No. <laughs> so the end. Bye-bye. No. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of a, a retreat. And the Buddha actually uh, encouraged these these periods of seclusion from the world, um, particularly to the monastics um and there's actually this long-standing tradition when i say long-standing it was initiated in the time of the buddha of uh what's called the vasa or the rains retreat in india there was a it was like a three or four month period of the monsoon season and he instructed the monastics to stay in place like to to stay in a monastery or whatever wherever um for that period of time and because at that time there was most of the monastics were wandering and i mean monastics still wander to this day from monastery to monastery but the buddha said stay in place 
And partially, there's a really practical reason of implementing non-harming and not traveling during the monsoon season. Because if you wander, if you go from place to place, you're walking through muddy fields and destroying the the crops and stuff. Um, and so the Buddha's like, it's a good idea not to go. But it also gives the monks really good chunk of time of deepening their practice instead of interacting with the lay people as much they they do have this period of seclusion so there's this really strong tradition of retreat in buddhism but it was not the it's it wasn't the vasa i'm you know lay people don't really observe the vasa um it one one interesting note to uh to mention is that uh, Buddhist monastics actually rank seniority by the number of vases. So basically, the number of years one has been in robes, hmm. and so they will they will ask themselves like, "How many vases do you have?" And it's not like trying to, you know, hey, how many vases do you have? You know, start a conversation. This is actually how they figure out who's the most senior monk or nun, and. Because there's a lot, there's a high, kind of a hierarchy of respect, and the most senior monk, the most, the most senior one with the most vasas will be the senior monk of wherever it is, whatever mm-hmm. monastery. Um, but anyway, it's like a black belt in Buddhism, kind of. <laughs> so, anyway, I went on a retreat, a retreat. I had a short-term residency at a monastery not local we don't have any local really local monasteries in my area but so i took like a three hour flight uh to the east coast for uh 10 days and the monastery i was staying at technically is a non-sectarian monastery but very very heavily leaning to the theravada tradition and while I was there, uh, there was, at, I think, a total of like eight monastics that were there during my time. Not all at once, but a good chunk of them were there all at once. Um, I don't know why I mentioned that. I felt like there's a reason why I mentioned that. Seniority. Oh. Because all of the the monastics who were there were part of the Theravada tradition. Okay. Um, some were had ordained in Thailand. Some of them ordained in uh, monasteries in the U.S. like Abhayagiri or the Bhavana Society. Um, some of them ordained at the monastery I was at. So, and this most senior monk had been ordained for 20 years. Second most senior nun um it's like 15 years i think and the most junior was like a few months i think so we had like a really nice range of of seniority there and it was really cool to see how they interact with that and how they figure out where they sit literally where they sit (laughs) um but yeah it was such such an interesting experience not just like from my nerdy wanting to learn stuff, uh, I learned so much. 
but also just like what I took away from it. Um, and so in short, like the, <clears throat> my stay at the monastery, I lived by the monastic schedule and lived by the eight precepts. So anyone residing at the monastery, and this goes for most monasteries, I believe, one will observe the eight precepts. These are the five precepts that most Buddhists observe, plus three more, um, and kind of plus one more uh, on top of that. Um, so there's no killing, no stealing, no lying, no sexual activity, no intoxication, and no eating after noon. So you have to, you lived by the monastic eating schedule. Uh, no beautifying the body or with fragrance, with adornment. Or even as I was explained with like, like loud, flamboyant colors or anything, like you wanted mm. to dress m very neutral, and it's actually encouraged if you are st if you are staying for any sort of period of time, like observing these rules and like really wanting to deepen your practice to wear all white, and so there was a long term lay resident there wearing all white the whole time, um, which was really cool to see. Um, oh, and the last precept was no s sleeping on luxurious high beds. Um, so it was, and the idea behind these precepts <clears throat> and, uh, one of the bhikkhunis, one of the monks actually kind of explained this indirectly in one of her talks. And I think it was, it was just so fascinating so the five precepts that most Buddhists take um, is said to be the natural behavior of a stream enterer. So someone, a stream enterer is like the lowest, like the kind of preliminary entry level of enlightenment. So someone who's who has gone into the stream, who's entered the stream to the to liberation and will inevitably get there. Like there's no turning back. And so they naturally follow the five precepts. As non-stream enterers, we follow these five precepts as kind of an ethical practice. Um, and for, for multiple reasons. The eight precepts that we follow are said to be the natural behaviors of an arahant. So of someone who is enlightened, they will naturally follow these eight precepts because they are a reflection of like absolute non-harming like if you follow these eight precepts you will do the least harming in the world possible pretty much hmm. um theoretically and then they then she went on to explain the monastic rules because monks have like 231 rules nuns have 311 um and she explained why that, that is why they have so, so many more rules uh, which was an interesting talk, maybe a, a talk for another episode or something. But hmm. she said these these other monastic rules are there to keep the keep order in the monastic community because it is kind of an intentional community built up by the Buddha and his followers. And with such a specific goal in mind, you have to have so many like rules of conduct. And they are kind of, they are rules of conduct. 
And so just seeing the explanation of the five and the eight precepts, I was like, I was, I was impressed with the depth of, of the explanations. Hmm. I'm not just like, Oh, you know, do these because, you know, non-harming, but because they reflect the natural behavior of enlightened people. Um, but so while you're staying in a monastery, we follow these eight precepts and the schedule, the rough schedule in general, it kind of varied day to day, um, was waking up at five thirty in the morning, actually waking up a little before that because at five thirty in the morning was morning puja or, uh, a, a service kind of a morning service, uh, where we did chanting and we did traditional Pali chanting, the language of Theravada Buddhism. Um, and we also did English versions sometimes if the monks felt like it. Um, and followed by roughly 45 minutes of meditation. And it was just such a cool experience because the place itself was absolutely beautiful. Like, it felt old. It, it was an old Catholic monastery, so... It just felt like a monastery. And early in the morning, before the sun's rising, you're sitting in this stone, this rough stone chapel room with, like, and in front of you are, are monks, like, in these, or, in these, like, brown-orange robes, chanting this ancient language hmm. by candlelight, pretty much. And it was just like, wow. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> Sometimes in meditation, I'll just like open my eyes and like look at this small group of monastics. And it was like really inspiring. Hmm. Um, and following that, following morning puja was breakfast. And so there were a total of three lay residents, including me there. And we were pretty much in charge of feeding the monks. Um, I mentioned how many rules the monks have. A lot of those pertain to eating. Monks can't store food. They can't buy food. They can't handle money. They can't ask for food. Um, traditionally, monks have their alms bowls, and they will go into the village and collect their daily meal. Um, you, a lot of monks only have one meal a day before noon. Luckily, in a in a setting like this monastery, where you have lay people and like running things, you can have food. And I think the monastic rules actually dictate that you can have a specific room for preparing food for monks. And so they have a full kitchen. Uh, they have the works, and. So the three, the three like residents, we would get the food ready and every meal we had to offer it to the monks because they can't take food unless offered to them. So we would have to set it out on the table and, and like ceremoniously almost like offer the food to the monks and only after it was offered could they eat. And then we would eat after we would get our food after they got their, what they wanted. Um, and the same goes for lunch, too. Uh, so this monastery had two meals, 7 o'clock breakfast, 11 o'clock lunch. 
most some monasteries only have one um so i felt kind of lucky maybe <laughs> but um so there's set up sometime there's not much with not much cooking with breakfast but with lunch there's cooking and then clean up so there's a lot of a lot of manual labor going on with cooking and washing dishes as i mentioned earlier um and but in between breakfast and lunch there was a work period so even more manual labor sometimes it in- included just cooking l- lunch um, and sometimes it included cutting grass fun fact monks cannot cut living plants hmm. not even fruit like not even fruit or like fresh vegetables that could potentially grow um, and I think it's categorized by the potential of like if it has seeds and so there's also this this kind of ritual that we would have to go through if something could if something we offered could grow again they would actually ask um it was a polyphrase kapiang karohi and basically says make this allowable and we would have to cut into it and say kapiang bante or it is allowable venerable and It, it was a, it was fascinating to like learn that and experience that and a lot a lot of our work period was cleaning uh, cleaning bathrooms or a certain room or cutting the grass because monks can't they can't even ask us directly to cut things uh, they, they can make uh, suggestions allowable it I think the technical term is like allowable speech or something so they could suggest like yeah that there's a branch that's in the way and then like there's some tree trimmers in the corner of <laughs> 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 uh, just suggestively laid out or something um and finally after lunch cleanup um we would have a practice period for about three hours so we could do our own practice sometimes just rest sometimes take a shower because i'm sweaty at 12 o'clock uh, <laughs> from all this work uh, and sometimes the the monks would actually lead us in a practice session during our personal practice uh one of them did like a two-hour walking and sitting session um, walking meditation and sitting meditation uh a few days we went on a mindful walk through the woods nearby that was really cool um and then at five o'clock in the evening we would do uh, it would be tea time which also included what are called allowables what the monks can eat afternoon so the buddha actually allowed monks to eat certain things for like medicinal reasons and a lot of the foods are kind of puzzling um but they also like help fight off like extreme hunger in case you know what you didn't eat for what you ate at breakfast isn't completely filling and like your hunger is just a little too distracting because like sometimes it's like okay i i could eat but it's not that distracting you know um and the allowables generally include cheese dark chocolates medicinal plants like seaweed and ginger juices butter and oils sugars um 
on the list they also listed lemons and limes and also citrus peels so you can have orange peels or grapefruit peels hmm. but you could also have lemon and lime apparently whole <laughs> um, but I didn't see anyone offer any of that <laughs> But tea time was really cool because the other meals that the monks would get their food and sit in the Dhamma hall while we would generally sit in a separate dining hall. Although apparently we were allowed to eat with them, um, but we didn't. But tea time we could and we were encouraged to and it was kind of like an informal chat session. We would sit there drinking tea or juice, eating cheese, uh someone had a recipe for allowable hot chocolate so we indulged in that sometimes um and just talk to the monks hear their stories they'll they would sometimes just ask oh how'd you get into buddhism um so it was just like a really cool experience to be able to just like sit with the monks um oh and with the meals as well we only did this at the lunch period because i think the lunch meal was like the formal actual meal we would recite this chant uh, that's a, a, a meal kind of reflection. Um, and monks are not supposed to eat food for fun. So this reflection is, is basically re- recalling the reason why they eat, which is not for fun, for pleasure, for beautification, for anything like that. It's for sustaining the body so you could continue your practice. And we also like adopted that, even though, you know, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, this is so good. What? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes it was just like, eat it. It's good. It maybe it's not, who knows? Uh, this chanting took forever. So everything's kind of cold anyway. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then after tea would be an evening puja. So more chanting, more meditation, and there was like certain chants we would do every day. And then sometimes during evening puja, it was like, you know what? Let's chant this sutta. So we would actually chant suttas in the Pali language. And I think about three times we chanted the Dhamma Chaka Pawatana Sutta, which is the first turning of the wheel of the Dhamma Sutta, where the Buddha gave his first Dhamma talk. And because Waysak happened this last weekend, they were preparing for their Waysak celebration, which is like the biggest holiday in Buddhism. And that was one of the suttas they always chant for Waysak. It was it was so cool sitting in the chapel chanting with the monks this sutta that's so important to Buddhism. And you read the suttas in the English translations, and it's dry. It is so repetitive. There's be there'd be paragraphs where just one word is different, but chanting it, you f- you understood deeply why it's repetitive because this is an oral tradition that would chant these from memory. That's mm. how they first originally memorized it. Nothing was written down for like a hundred years or so, and you just like felt the power in it. Like, wow, I understand why it's like this now. And it was just interesting, such a cool experience, especially because you have these monks chanting it to like the monks have devoted every single minute aspect of their life to the Dhamma practice. 
and it was just really inspiring. Um, hmm. Anyway, there would also be a lot of talks throughout the day. In the evening after evening puja, there would be talks. Not every day, but some days. There would be some a- after breakfast in the morning. Um, just And they would even do like live stream uh, talks. So you'd like sit there and they have their webcam and everything. Uh, and it would be a really great opportunity to ask questions as well uh, during the talks. Sometimes we would do sutta studies. Sometimes we do just questions and answers. Sometimes it's like, okay, this this venerable is going to speak. We don't know what they're going to speak about. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so there's two aspects of this residency that really stuck with me. One was the manual labor. Uh, we're just working for like the first six, seven hours of the day and cleaning, cooking, dishwashing, sweating. Uh, and it's just, it was very humbling and like very wholesome. And you just like got into this monastic rhythm where it's like, of course we're going to clean uh, one of the one of one lay resident that was there for a few days was like came to me while I was cleaning the bathroom. He's like, "Yeah, I'm like mopping a clean floor," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's the monastery life." <laughs> and it, I mean, the place was spotless, so there's a reason why. <laughs> because it's like you know what we haven't cleaned the meditation hall this week. We're gonna do that. It's like, but it's spotless. But you're still going to dust. You're still going to sweep. You're still going to mop. You're still going to wipe down the cushions. And it comes away cl- somehow cleaner. Um, the second thing that I took away was like something you said about the camaraderie. Um, we spent a lot of time in noble silence. So we wouldn't speak unless necessary. And if we did speak, it would be in whispers. But we would also have periods of getting to know each other. And like we all grew pretty close with each other. Like I didn't know anyone here. I didn't mm. like, I didn't know any of the monastics. I didn't know any of the lay people, but everyone just got along really well. Um, although one of the, one of the nuns said, give it a few months and that would change. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> monks don't get along either. Like sometimes, sometimes they butt heads. But, like, we just, like, really worked as a team. It was really, like, there's a lot of appreciation, a lot of generosity. Um, Mm. I would get thanked multiple times a day for doing the dishes from a monk. And it's like, of course, why wouldn't I? Like, why would I not do the dishes? Why would I not cook this food for you? Um, And there's just this air of appreciation, of kindness, of compassion, of generosity. And... It was it was just such a, a great atmosphere to be in. And coming away from it, like, not only do I feel, like, more energized for, like, manual labor, like, it's, it's a, it's part of the practice. I'm going to, I'm going to wash my dishes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, like, part of, like, the spiritual practice, it's like, undergoing this 10 these 10 days of 
following the eight precepts, um, which I don't think I mentioned part of the, the beautification and adornment precept is avoiding entertainment. So we didn't listen to music. We didn't watch TV. We didn't have our phones with us. And you just like grew to appreciate this, like this, this ethical side of the practice that it's not like, Oh, do, do good things or else. But it was, wow. If I do like, if I practice sense restraint, I'm so much calmer. I'm so much lighter. Hmm. There's like, my mind's not as heavy and as active. And, um, and there's this beautiful phrase in Buddhism of, of being blameless. Like if you, if you're not doing stupid stuff, there's nothing to be blamed for. And so you can like live at peace with yourself. Like I didn't lie, like lying, you know, you set yourself up for, Oh, now I have to remember that I lied. Now I have to remember these stories I'm telling. And if you don't lie, it's just like, there's nothing to remember. If you Um, don't play stupid games, you don't win stupid prizes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it, it was just such a, cool experience to be able to like to live like that with people living like that as well and realize kind of the the worth of that practice in a way and Hmm. yeah so that sounds like like one of your big takeaways like is there anything specific that like you really brought home and like that was either like life-changing or like made an impact in your life um, or like the, just the way you're going forward or thinking or yeah I think like going forward I definitely have a bigger respect for the so like Buddhist practice is separated into three categories sila uh, which is virtue or ethics uh, wisdom and like meditation meditation it's not translated as that but it's the meditation practice and a lot of times the virtue or the ethics gets kind of glossed over because that's that's it's icky stuff um virtue ethics rules yeah it's not fun it's not it's not the cool the cool marketable side of buddhism but it's a third of the whole practice because it's oh meditation but there's a humongous, humongous side of it that's ethics. And that's what the monastics also live by. Like they are, they uphold this ethic, pra- ethics practice to an astounding degree. And wow. it's just so inspiring. It's like, I want to like be able to embrace that too. And even seeing the lay practitioners who are wearing white, who are like devoting much of their lives to the the virtue aspect of buddhism and it's like and also experientially seeing the worth reflected in your meditation practice of how powerful that ethic ethics practice is it's like maybe it's worth more than we think it is interesting yeah i do have to say like on my retreat i didn't really have my phone at all like you know during the day, you're always, like, checking it or, like, you get a text or whatever. Like, you know, people are constantly reaching out to you. But, like, they're, like, I barely held my phone 
And like at one point I left it in the cabin. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't even have my phone. Uh, and yeah, it's just, even just for a weekend, it was, it's nice to get away from like the busyness of like the technological world and yeah. forget about that for a little bit and like reset your brain. Yeah. You know, I, I had my phone turned off and most, a, a huge chunk of the time it was actually somewhere I didn't know where, like I gave it to one of the monks for safekeeping and wow. I had no idea where it was. And there's an, an initial anxiety of like, oh, no, like, I'm sure my phone is blowing up with important news, <laughs> important information. And then you check several days later and there's literally nothing. I have that anxiety with my my work phone. Like, oh, I don't work Fridays a lot of times. So like a Monday, it's oh, Friday probably just exploded and I get in and it's like, oh, nothing. What was I worried funny? about? <laughs> You know what's funny? It's like I've been back. This is my second day back in in the mundane world. <laughs> and like I spent a lot, like an embarrassing amount of time on my phone and nothing to gain from it. That's so true. Oh, man, we could go so much into that. <laughs> That's a whole episode. That's a whole episode in itself. Technology yeah. or something like that. Oh, yeah. Man. And it's really like. Maybe I will probably delete a lot of my social media apps um, because I, it's just such a waste of time. It really is. It really <laughs> is. Especially when you get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm scrolling and I'm looking at the stuff I saw yesterday <laughs> or I saw this morning. It's the same thing. And it's just like. It's like, and I was supposed to walk out of the kitchen 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at one point. The last day I was there, I had my phone on me because I wanted to take some pictures and, like, get people's contact info. And so it's in my pocket. And at tea time, I sat down. And I was going to talk to one of the monks. And I sat down and immediately pulled my phone out of my pocket, like, set my tea down. <sighs> Why did I do that? <laughs> That's scary. Oh, that is scary. I make but. it a habit not to pull out my phone at tables for that reason. Like, I just don't want to get used to it. I hate seeing people, like, sitting down together all on their phones. It just, like, yeah. freaks me out. Like, man, that's what the world is coming to. Phones and TV, too. Like, at a restaurant, everyone's just staring at the TV. Um, that's but, scary. That gives me the creeps know, for some reason. Like... But, like, coming back from this retreat, I just feel I f feel less stressed. And hopefully I can hmm. carry that with me. <laughs> hopefully yeah. I can carry some of the stuff I've learned with me into the stressful situations. Um, but, yeah, I even, like, got a comment this morning when I went to my Buddhist temple. And I walked in and it's like, wow, you look so, so, you look light. You, you're walking lighter. And I'm like, am I? I think I am. I don't know if it's the jet lag, but <laughs> like deliriously tired, but yeah, wow. I feel lighter. Wow. That says a lot. And that's what a retreat is all about. Yeah. yeah. It's resetting. It's yeah. renouncing temporarily. You say it, you wouldn't call it a retreat, but I think it really, I think it really was. It, it really was. Yeah, maybe we should have, like, when we get big, we'll have a Baptist and Buddhist retreat for all of our followers to sign up. 
Let us know if you're interested. Email us, baptismbuddhists at gmail.com. You can either kayak with the Baptist or wash dishes with the Buddhists. No. Your pick. Your, your pick. No. Uh, yeah, and yeah, definitely uh, let us know, guys. That would be kind of cool. Um, just pipe dreams right there. But retreats. Yeah, that's retreats for you. It, if anyone has their own experiences with retreats and wants to share... We'll gladly read them and yeah, definitely. share it with the podcast. I'm interested um, to hear about other experiences because I have none besides my own and then what I hear from you. So, yeah, yeah re- reach Same. out to us, guys. Um, like and subscribe, all that stuff on all the socials while you're sitting there doing nothing on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I think that's all that we could say about retreats. It's just yeah, it was a treat. And a, another treat, a retreat. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to retreat from this. Yeah, I probably should. Well, okay. I think that wraps this episode up. Um, again, hit us up, guys, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or, you know, let us know what you think. And we want to hear from you if you want to hear something that we have not covered or if you want to hear us cover something again in more detail, we would gladly do so. But, I mean... Other than that, uh, this has been The Baptist and The Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.